This is the Empowered Educational Conversations with Elena Christina podcast. We are two educators who have worked in over seven different school districts and want to see change. We are here for our school leaders who have the desire to implement radical changes to fight the destructive nature of racism and injustice. This is a safe space for passionate school leaders and aspiring school leaders to listen in as we voice our concerns, laugh at our mistakes, and strategize ways to overcome adversity as educators, all while keeping it real. Join us as we share our experience along with other important voices in the field. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Aline and Christina, where we seek to build community and support one another in this work. While you're there, share this with a friend and colleague and rate and review this podcast so we could get this to even more school leaders who want to do this work. All right, let's get to this episode. Welcome back to the Empowered Conversations podcast with Elena and Christina, episode 50. I'm Elaine, co-host of this podcast. I've been in education for 17 years as a former school counselor and high school assistant principal. I currently coach K-12 school leaders and revolutionizing the K-12 public school system. And I'm Christina, the other co-host of this podcast. This is my 18th year in education. I was a former high school English teacher, former assistant principal, co-principal, and site level admin program specialist. I'm currently a teacher coach at a K-12 school district and a K-12 co-school leadership coach with my homie and business partner, Aline, here in the Bay Area. Hey, y'all. So like always, well, Happy New Year, Christina. This is the first episode of 2023. And like always, let's, um, let's check in. So how have you been doing? I've been doing well. For the most part, um, I, I don't want to say that I had like, an, I set a New Year's resolution. Um, I, I would say that I'm trying to get back to pre-pandemic Christina, but better. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like it so pre uh, the pre-pandemic Christina was like I I was really on I was on a schedule mm. and that schedule helped me stay focused and productive and I just noticed that when I'm on a schedule I just feel happier yeah happy and so um I just make sure that I plan my day the night before, like how I used to do. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, I and I feel like because I started doing that again and like getting myself into a routine, mm-hmm. um, I started exercising consistently. Mm-hmm. I mean, y'all, it's only been week two, but... <laughs> that's the thing with new year's (laughs) yeah so I I that's why I don't want to call it a new year's resolution because Mm -hmm. I feel like for me specifically like I do that for like the month of January and then it's like it Mm -hmm. comes to an end Mm -hmm. I I want this to be ongoing yeah and um 
yeah, I just want to feel good every day. And I want to feel, and I, I just, I feel like when I have a routine, it allows me to set and keep my boundaries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just really want to make sure that yes, I I'm focused during work. Yes. I'm focusing on our side hustle, but at the end of the day, like I want to make sure that I have time for myself and most importantly time for my son. So yeah. when I pick up my son from nanny, I want to make sure that I'm spending uh-huh. um, time with him and cuddling and reading because by the time I pick him up, he he's only awake for two hours uh-huh. before I put him to bed. So yeah. What, what about you, Elaine? I mean, same. I don't, I've kind of let go of setting resolutions. I more than anything, like, um, just do a end of year reflection and think about what I want to like accomplish in the year, like kind of like themes, I guess. I mean, I, I, I more than anything, like set a word for the year and build in reflection. So that's just kind of how I see it. It's been hard. I feel like I'm barely starting my new years in the sense because I've had my little one at home. Um, his daycare has been closed since before Christmas. And so he went back today and I feel like, okay, I can get started today because when 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 I have the kid at home, it's just not the same, um, obviously. So my attention is diverted. Um, and the storm hasn't been helping. Um, if anyone's heard, like in the Bay Area, there's just been lots of rain and wind, high wind, and knocked out our power for, you know, twice actually during this this storm. So just kind of like throws things off a little bit. Um, but overall, I, I feel good about 2023 and I'm excited about all the things that we have coming up. Um, me personally, and then too for us professionally. So yeah. That's just where I'm at. I'm excited about this episode, Christina. Um, last time we talked about our, we did a reflection on 2022, our wins and our goals for 2023. So I think that was a good way to end the year and get us started in that way. Um, and this this episode, we have a guest. So why don't we jump into it? Oh, absolutely. So I need to set some contextual information before mm-hmm. um, I introduce our guest. So I was an assistant principal at Skyline from 2012 to 2015. So during that time, I was the direct supervisor over the ninth grade small learning communities, which consisted of four houses, which had 20 teachers and roughly about 500 students. So twice this school year, each house had to create two SMART goals, two measurable goals. Um, One goal specifically focused on um, content area. So content meaning that um, there was a math team, science team, English team, and a social science team. And then the second goal was for the interdisciplinary teams because within the four houses. Each house had an English teacher, math teacher, biology teacher, social studies teacher, and an assigned RSP special ed teacher. So in order to create a legit SMART goal, we needed to use data. Um, I would, because I'm not a computer person, and I mean, real talk, even if I was a computer savvy, 
I had a lot of things to do. And um, so, yes, if I wanted to use data, like I need help gathering that data, right? So with that said, I would forward my wish list semester data to uh, to my district support provider. And two to three weeks later, I had these beautiful data sets. Um, look, the, these data sets were not just raw data for me to somehow organize on my own. Um, they came back to me organized. Not only did they come back to me organized, but they were color coded and they were displayed in easy to read charts. Um, so from what I remember, like within my wish list, I had um, our support provider narrow it down to these specific categories. Like it was, um, uh, we wanted it to be focused on um, A through G in high school graduation requirements. Uh, we wanted them organized by house and by content teams where we had it broken down by ethnicity, attendance, um, if students um, had SPED support, a 504 plan. And then of course, you know, we had to see um, what discipline looked like in each house, broken down by ethnicity. Um, what else? EL support, uh, reading and math intervention numbers. So not only were these data sets used to create SMART goals, um, they were used for RTI and MTSS and SEL planning, um, master scheduling, and then of course, um, unit and lesson planning. So the funny thing is, I would just send an email <laughs> to a, our district support provider, not really thinking like, how do, how do these beautiful data charts come about? Um, but, you know, within like 48 to 72 hours, I would just, I would just check my inbox and I would have um, a beautiful PDF file. And if the PDF file was too big, I could, I knew that um, through the pony that I would get a, um, what do you call those devices where you save it and you put it in your computer? You a thumb see. drive. Yeah, thumb drive. Mm -hmm. Thumb drive. So I knew that, okay, if it was too big, I would get like a thumb drive. But um, one day I, I realized like, I wonder who I've been emailing. Because <laughs> I mean, it would you would just send it to like this like data. Um, I forgot who I sent it to, to be quite honest. But I, I remembered I needed to know exactly who I was sending it to because I, I wanted something else specific in there. And so... I was told that it was a certain person and it really wasn't, but then he like took the thanks anyway. Um, and that's just this, another story for another day. Um, <laughs> and then eventually I, you know, I, I returned to Skyline. I, I left Skyline for about two years and then I returned to Skyline and I was just trying to connect with, my former people, you know, my people, you know, because I was like, all right, well, now that I'm a co-principal, I need to get all my ducks in a row. Let me reach out to my support providers. So this time I really wanted to know who this data person was. 
And I actually found out who it really was, not the person that I was thanking for nothing. But um, I find out that it is Mr. Ratana Yang. Um, he has been the mastermind behind all these beautiful data sets that he provided Skyline High School's ninth grade communities. So um, I honestly did not know how spoiled I was until I became an administrator at other school districts, specifically smaller school districts. Um, they did not have a data team department. So if I wanted raw data and convert them into re uh, readable charts, I would have to do that all on my own. So with that said, let me introduce the man behind the data sets. Ratana Yang, a data analyst from Oakland Unified School District's Department of Research Assessment and Data. Ratana has served in Oakland schools since 2008, and his day-to-day -day involves helping educators make more informed, data-driven decisions that empower Oakland Unified students. Outside of OUSD, Ratana has devoted much of his time to community and advocacy work. During December 2022, he marks his official retirement from serving as a court-appointed special advocate, CASA, for mm -hmm. foster youth in Alameda County. As a CASA, Ratana provided one-on-one -on -one court advocacy to abuse, neglected, and abandoned children who are dependents of juvenile court. Before that, he served six years on the board of directors for the Southeast Asia Resource Action Center, the only national civil rights organization that focuses on the needs of Cambodian, Laotian, and Vietnamese American communities. Oh, and in 2016, Ratana co-chaired the Nisei, um, I hope I said that right, N-I-S-E-I, -E Student Relocation Commemorative Fund, which awarded $50,000 worth of scholarship money to college-bound Southeast Asian American students from the Bay Area. Whew, let me catch my breath. Um, <laughs> with most of his volunteer commitments behind him, he's devoting most of his time and energy to writing his memoir. So... With that said, drum rolls. Ratana, thank you for joining us. Hey, well, Ratana, before you tell us more about what you're up to now, please share your educational journey. So you can go back as far as you want to or highlight the pieces of your educational journey that you feel really kind of puts you at the place where you're at now or informs your point of view. Um, just tell us a little bit more. Um, sure. Uh, wow. I, I, there's a lot of different sources of inspiration, I feel like, that brought me to Oakland Unified School District. Um, it's kind of hard to pinpoint a specific thing, but I would say at the heart of a lot of my motivation to work in education really just centers around my parents' experience. Um, uh, as refugees, not not just my parents' experience, actually my experience too, our, our family experiences like refugees to this country. Um, my parents, well, my mother especially, um, was an educator uh, in Cambodia and she, uh, along with my father, had fled the country um, around 1982. And they, like many Cambodian-American families that are here in the U.S. now, um, they had escaped some pretty horrific things uh, that happened in Cambodia. 
um, around the 70s and, and, and 80s. And um, it was a period of time where if in some way you were associated with the West um, or you were associated with the sort of, I don't know, uh, more modern educated class of folks uh, in the country, you were essentially targeted for um, extermination. Uh, and I often think about my family's experience um, and to them, they were, I mean, for them, they were both educated. Uh, my father was on track to uh, work in medicine. My mother uh, was a teacher um, who eventually became a nurse, uh, you know, post Khmer Rouge. And it, it just astounded me to think that uh, just for them being simply educated and, and, and believing in the things that they did kind of put a target on their back and they had to flee the country, you know, to, uh, to, to come to the U S and hopefully carve out a better life for us. And so I, you know, our origin story is a bit complicated. It's a bit tragic. And, and, and I, I, I think growing up, um, that I spent, I've spent so much of my, <laughs> young adult life leading into now, just trying to figure out um, just what our family history is and and what was lost and 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 things that we've overcome. And, and I guess long story short, it, it's just always reminded me of the power of like education, uh, the power of knowledge. Um, I feel like I grew up, um, when, well, actually I should say, when we moved to the United States, we, we first arrived in the Tenderloin, um, uh, of San Francisco, uh, I think two or three days right before Halloween, which was a very yeah. unusual experience. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we moved around quite a bit until we settled in the suburbs of uh, Southern California uh, until we found like a safer place to be. And those suburbs happened to be the wonderful city of Rancho Cucamonga. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of it. People yeah. often mention next Friday. As exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would say for the most part, my education there was uh, pretty decent. You know, I didn't have to deal with a lot of the issues that I feel like a lot of our the youth and like, especially like Oakland Unified have to deal with is a relatively safe place. Mm -hmm. And I just spent a lot of time there um, sort of being one, the only Cambodian American within like miles and miles of like the city. Um, and I, I, I feel like that kind of instilled in me just sort of this uh sharp contrast in terms of like well here's everybody else here's your family and I would say it wasn't until I got to college I, I I started to learn more I guess uh in more detailed clarity uh, just the context behind our arrival to the United States what it means to be a newcomer what it means to be a refugee what it means to hold a lot of this mm -hmm. difficult and traumatic history and it gave me such a strong sense of identity and I just knew growing up that um, in terms of a career path, I wanted to, in some capacity, support people on their educational journey, people on their, uh, I don't know, just, yeah, education just seemed to make a lot of sense. And what's interesting for me is I, I'm, I'm in a department where I, I work uh, with data and data is just sort of like one small like facet that helps people kind of figure out, mm -hmm. you know, stuff about you know, what's going on at school site. Mm -hmm. What I mean, it's, it's very broad. So mm -hmm. um, anyways, I feel like I've sort of meandered around there, but 
there was a sort of an immigration story that really inspired my commitment to um, education uh, and and helping people support uh, students, teachers, families uh, with data that hopefully can illuminate and enlighten. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Darker corners of the educational world that yeah. sort of need a bit of a transparency in it. So um, yeah. yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. I could probably specify or clarify things if 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 you need. No, I just like what you said just now, just about you know the darker corners of education and how the data or just understanding how to use the data can really shine a light on those corners mm-hmm. that we need to look into or bring closer to the center so that it doesn't end up being left in the shadows. Um, And I don't know, like for me, I I think Christina and I have talked about this in a a few different ways, just how data tells a story. And now for you, like it really came from this desire to be able to kind of go off of this one individual story, like your own story of like, going through the educational system and having been living in different places and kind of seeing what it was like for your parents or understanding what it was like for your parents to not have the, you know, be persecuted for their educational level, right? And now being in a country where education is is seen as this way, like what everyone needs to do is to continue to, to rise in the levels of education and you wanting to use this data set to tell more of a story. So starting from this one individual story to now saying like, how do we compile all this information to try to figure out what the stories are? You know, start off with this larger story and then try to kind of funnel it in. Um, So I just find it fascinating because I don't think, I think oftentimes when we hear data, some people just shrug their shoulders or get really- uh, Defensive. Exactly, defensive or just- Mm -hmm not want to really look at it as a tool and more as a additional burden, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and getting their work done. So I don't know. I find it fascinating. So kind of, I guess, give us a little bit more, like what got you specifically into this department? Cause not a lot of people think of like, I want to work in education specifically on helping people understand data or make it easier for them. Like what got you there? Well, sure. Uh, I've been working in Oakland Unified School District since 2007 or eight, I think. I, it's been quite some time. Uh, uh, before that, uh, well, I was, it was my first, I guess you could say, real job right after college. Um, and uh, like I mentioned earlier, I, I knew I wanted to sort of uh, be in some type of service related to education or nonprofit or community organizing. And I pretty much knew somebody that knew somebody that said, Hey, there's a research position open at Oakland Unified. Um, Maybe you should apply. Uh, And I started off as a research assistant Uh, that didn't really go anywhere. It was a very unusual time at the district. Uh, I think we're coming fresh off of like a, a state takeover. Um, I eventually ended up working uh, on the assessments team. Um, mm. Most of that just involves logistics around assessments, making sure people have what they need to administer tests and and meet deadlines, things like that. Um, that work was interesting for a while until it, it just wasn't. <laughs> and then I, I started <laughs> having that, uh, you know, inner calling of just like, I feel like I could be doing something more, something more meaningful. And uh, fortunately for me, there was a position that opened up on the data team which was all about taking uh, data from 
these very different messy places, um, like, you know, spreadsheets and different platforms and different, all in all sorts of different formats and piecing that together uh, in a way that hopefully, uh, uh, you know, all of our stakeholders at OUSD can use to make some sort of, or first gather some sort of insight about what's really happening at school sites when it comes to, you know, demographics or testing, um, and, and then just plan accordingly, like, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, that was huge for me. Um, and it, it just, it, it coincided around the time where Oakland Unified did this very wonderful thing. I felt like Oakland Unified has done a great job of like really investing in their own like research, uh, assessment and data team. Um, and what happened was we started to, I feel like, what's the word, not modernize, but we started using systems and tools that were pretty much on par with what with what other like tech leaders were, were using. Um, so uh, one, we started using a lot of like SQL database querying uh, to, to pretty much pull and manage and blend our data. Um, and we also started using this wonderful tool called Tableau. Um, uh, yeah, we, yeah, I could see Christina nodding her head. I think that was one of our first interactions. Uh, Oakland Unified at some point uh, was very early in terms of adopting this very cool data tool. It's, you know, they were, real talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we yeah. they're essentially dashboards. We make dashboards that allow people to look at data, filter data, uh, create mm. visuals that are very aesthetic and, and hopefully help aggregate and simplify you know, all this data that people get intimidated by uh, in a way that's just interactive and fun. And, um, yeah. you know, we were sort of like working in our own little bubble. And uh, I think eventually over time, a lot more of our dashboards became more widely available, not to just, to just central office like leadership, uh, but to teachers and like the community, like the public at large. And uh, before we knew it, a lot of school districts from all over the United States were asking us like, hey, what are you guys doing over there? Like, this is really interesting. This is really fascinating. Um, and the data that we've been able to put out there has been able to just, I think, just kind of uh, uh, expedite some of the thinking or understanding uh, about what's happening at like yeah. schools um, and and what's happening at like the student level, the school level, the network level, district level. Um, there was just so much, I guess, flexibility in terms of how folks could analyze data. Um, mm -hmm. It's just really benefited like our work. And, you know, for me personally, so I, I, I this is where it gets more personal. So, you know, growing up in a refugee immigrant household, you know, my parents would often ask, what are you gonna do with your life? You know, when you're an yeah. adult, what? Like, because like it, every day always felt like survival mode, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they always instilled in me this sort of forward thinking sort of mentality of just like, where are you going to be? What are you going to do? Because if you can't make it here, we're totally screwed. Um, yeah. So it was inspiring, but also kind of stressful. But I remember one of the first things I would always tell them was, uh, I, I kind of want to be an artist when I grow up. Um, <laughs> and you know, for your refugee immigrant parents to hear that, they're just kind of like, oh, no. they're like, oh, that, dang. <laughs> yeah, that is not what are you talking about? Like, you're not going to be able to take care of yourself with that. So it, <laughs> those are skill sets I never really developed uh, at, you know, in my K through 12 education, in my college education. And I've kind of just had them on my belt, very rusty, not really using them. And it wasn't until I got on the data team where, okay, you have all this 
quantitative data, all these, you know, numbers and stats about what's going on with their kids and school sites. And uh, one of my managers asked me like, hey, can you work on a report? Try to make it look nice. And I thought, oh, that's the first time I've ever been asked to like, you know, use that part of my brain for something work related. Um, and then before I knew it, it's just a lot of the, I've realized the dashboards that I was making, uh, there's this field called like, you know, user experience and like graphic design. I had, I had tapped into these sort of like skills I had left untouched yeah. quite a long time. And it ended up turning into this sort of like skill set uh, that was integral to, I feel like the success of a lot of our uh, reporting. And so um, it's just kind of weird like how that came full circle for me, but, um, that's awesome. So yeah, that, long story short, again, that's, it's just sort of this trajectory of like open unified. Actually, I feel like doing something really right with like maintaining the integrity of our data team and investing in tools that put us on the cutting edge and giving us the ability to just kind of grow, figure things out and expand to the point where I think when we first started, we had about five dashboards that were available to, you know, Open Unified for folks to use. Now we've got, I don't know, probably like uh, at least a hundred, I think. So wow. um, some folks like to say that we're very uh, data rich, but analysis poor, which I, I certainly feel like that way sometimes. My official title at the school district is data analyst, but it's, it's <laughs> you might be surprised to find that I get very little time actually to analyze data. I spend so much time just pulling data, cleaning the data, and then visualizing it in some sort of way for other folks like probably yourself or, you know, folks on the academic team to uh, put that analysis cap on and, mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. do more with it. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so uh, that, yeah, that's sort of just how things have unfolded here at Open Unified when it comes to data. That is no, no, go ahead, Christina. You know, Ritana, like, I, I think during the time you started your beginning years in OUSD that was Alina and I's um, start as administrators mm -hmm. and we use the your your data sets that you would give us like it like it helped us specifically mm -hmm. with uh with master scheduling mm -hmm. it helped us decide how many support classes we need or if we needed any. Um, it helped us um, decide upon like section allocation and um, how many teachers we need the following year. Yeah. It helped us decide, like we used it to just plan like basically everything. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it's a lot of data. Like, I mean, it, it was a whole lot and yeah. um, it, it was really, really helpful. And, you know, like I, I like how you, you put a whole bunch of, I, I don't even know the terminology, you, you know, it's like, we have very specific things we want, like broken like the down. Query. Like the query set. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah, continue. Ethnicity, the energy, mm -hmm. all that. I mean, it's it's a whole lot. And, you know, we were able to, you sent that to us through Excel. So, like, you helped us <laughs> dwindle stuff down because it's yeah. overwhelming, especially for someone like me that's not tech yeah. savvy. 
So when I did go onto the website and did it on my own, it was, it was definitely overwhelming, but then like, I, we appreciate how you like simplified things for us. Yeah. And then like, like even more than that, you, we were working together and I'm, I'm actually going to say, I, I'm say I said this in our intro too, like, I didn't realize that it was you this entire time. Like I would just talk to like our admin support provider and I'm like, look, the data sets that are given to the admin team, that's totally fine. I was like, but now I need data sets for the ninth grade teachers, but I need to make it so simplified because I, I don't want them to be distracted by everything else. So I was like, I need there like no Excel sheets. I was like, I need it to be pretty in different colors. I need it broken down by house. I just want it A through, I want it narrowed down to A through G, high school requirements, break it down by ethnicity, please. Um, not only did you break it down by ethnicity, like we, I don't know if I asked you to do this or if you decided to do it on your own, but I like how you differentiated Asian and Southeast Asian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of students still don't do that. No, yeah. I was like, and that was super freaking helpful. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, Southeast Asians are, are struggling in... in in the public school system. And, yeah. and I feel like they just get lodged in like with the stereotypical model minority piece. Yeah. And so seeing that in our data set within our ninth grade houses, mm -hmm. um, that was that, that going back to what you said, like you, you were shining a light on something mm -hmm. that I don't think yeah. we would have touched on. Yeah or addressed unless we saw that like mm -hmm. tangibly in our face yeah yeah um, and so that you know there's that piece that you know I, I really want to like thank you for and then I left OUSD and then when I came back I no longer had to ask to like for you to make these reader-friendly color coordinated charts anymore because all of a sudden the dashboard I shouldn't say all of a sudden I'm not it, like it progressed there the online dashboard for OUSD oh my gosh it's like super friendly I mean it's like anything that you could want you don't have to do the Aline there's no more keeps to blah blah uh, you guys you were querying yourselves it, yeah we were yeah, I was like, oh God, like there's no no more of those code top. Like you just like there's like drop down menus that do the query right there for you. It, yeah. It's insane. Well, and like and that's you too. Yeah. Well, today, can you Raton, can you tell us more about that? And I, I know you like also sure. touch a little bit more about like the idea behind breaking down certain demographics. Yeah. Because I think and that goes into our next question because we talk we think about like equity and educational justice and just yep. really you know 
wanting to make these types of informed but difficult decisions when it mm -hmm. comes to really honoring our students and uplifting those that need uplifting yeah. Yeah. in our decision. So tell us more about that. Cause you, you know, you kind of like perked up when Christina mentioned how you broke down even the Asian category that we often don't see yeah. broken down in districts, which by the way, I haven't worked in a district that has a data, you know, the way OUSD nah. does. So yeah, for real. To this I mean, very day. more districts need to be reaching out to OUSD <laughs> and see that. But tell yeah, us, like, you know, talk to us about just your, like, how that came to be and how you sure. feel like your position, you know, feeds into equity and educational justice for our school leaders. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you guys said a lot of, like, really interesting, great mm -hmm. stuff there that reminds me to... It just reminds me of like a lot of the work that we've done here. I mean, at Oakland Unified School District and a lot of other school districts still, maybe, uh, you know, I remember a time when I was on the data team and uh, we didn't have dashboards. We didn't have, you know, uh, our what we like to call our DIY like data warehouse, which is essentially one data architect building this all this stuff that all the reports sit on. Uh, I remember a time where we would line up in a train uh, and have these physical binders <laughs> that would have like a table of contents and like someone would be directing somebody to say, all right, the attendance PDF, which was essentially a colorful spreadsheet, which isn't that fun to look at. And this is probably a huge reason why people are intimidated by data because that's just not very yeah. accessible for some, for most folks, I would say. Mm -hmm. We would line up in this train and just put in these like PDF files into, or these printed out PDF files into a binder. And then... It, that would take like a couple of days after all the reports were like finally reproduced. And then we would go to like a retreat where we would hand each school like a physical binder of like all their data. And then they would spend like weeks in the fall analyzing that and kind of like making decisions off of that. Um, times have like really changed. <laughs> so, uh, you know, our team, it's not so it's not just me. Um, like uh, we have uh, a number of other data analysts that all focus on different you know, uh, sections of like educational work. Uh, I have a colleague who focuses mostly on high school data. I have a colleague who's actually like an analytics, like, or not analytics, uh, 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 oh my gosh, a geospatial analytics like oh specialist. Um, others focus on attendance data, suspension data. And so we're all sort of like broken off into like different, um, I guess, like work areas that allow us to, I, I don't know, I guess divide and conquer, I guess you can say. So for me, the work, uh, well, it came a time in my data analyst career where my manager had said, you know, we need you to pick sort of a focus area. Can you come up with something? And I was just at a loss for like what to do. Um, and my manager actually made the decision for me. She said, you know, given your educational background, your family history, it seems like you'd be a good match for the English language learner and multilingual achievement office. And for folks that don't know, these this department uh, focuses mostly on the work of English learners, uh, students who uh, speak a home language other than English at home, and, and our newcomer immigrant asylee refugee population. Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh, my God, I don't know why I didn't think of that. Like, yeah, that's obviously like a great match for me. Um, and so um, a lot of the data work that I've given in support of them is has done what like you have like specified, Christina. Um, there was a time um when we had these huge influxes of newcomers uh coming from like mm -hmm. central south america mm -hmm. and 
to me, it made sense because this was sort of a demographic and part of the news world that I had followed closely. I'm a bit sensitive to people that are displaced from their country and kind of have to find a new place yeah. to start fresh. And it was pretty obvious to a lot of people in the Bay Area that a lot of these folks are ending up here uh, in East Oakland, uh, especially. Um, surprisingly, there were people that were like, I, I don't believe this. Like, this just isn't true. Like, I've got other priorities at my school site. I, I don't understand why this is important for me to focus on. And, uh, you know, folks at Elmo were just like, hey, can you help us put together something some sort of data that helps people kind of see, like, look at these spikes and, you know, we're moving away from these PDFs and folders and, you know, data reports and, you know, flash drives to uh, using technology that allows us to like pretty much pull data every day and updates like pretty much every day uh, quite easily. And, you know, it's, it's automated. Uh, and, and I just remember uh, it's really strange because I, I don't, I guess I, because I do this so much, I don't always think about how powerful this, these tools are for us, but yeah, to have folks that are working on the ground, supporting these refugee asylum newcomer populations finally have quantitative evidence to say like, look, we've got like hundreds more students at our school sites. Now you can't deny this. Like, like, what do we do now? And so okay. it's nice. I mean, it, there's so many people working on the ground with that sort of like qualitative on the ground experience, but now they have quantitative numbers to back that up. And that makes like such a huge difference when you need resources, when you need funding. Yeah. And that was one bit of the work that I, I, I've always felt very proud of to just kind of say like, well, we know this is obviously happening, but like what evidence or proof do we need? And I think that's where the power of data can sometimes come in. Uh, to fill these gaps. Um, Christina, you had mentioned, <laughs> you had mentioned something that like, I, I felt very, very passionate about, which is like the disaggregation of data. Um, these tools allow us to do that much more simply uh, and efficiently. And as an Asian American, uh, you might be able to relate to this. There's this sort of perception that many of us are this sort of like model minority that we're hardworking, that we like, we, we, we sort of like embody this, this like work ethic because of our cultural background that allows us to sort of, I guess, uh, tends to, I guess, uh, portray us as being like much more successful um, uh, academically, professionally. And there's so many problems with that. One, uh, that whole model minority, the idea of being a model minority, that's like really essentially a conservative backlash against like black communities. And it's just kind of used as like, well, hey, black folks, like Asians are doing just fine and so they're doing that on their own. Why can't right. you do that? And it's just like, it? okay, that's, that's very problematic because okay. uh, at one level, it's just now all of the responsibility is on the individual. And we tend to, mm -hmm. with that sort of logic, overlook institutional and system-wide, you know, examples of just racism and and yeah. and, and inequality. Um, the other thing I would say about that too, because I come from a population of Asian Americans that really don't fit that mold at all. Like Southeast Asian Americans, I believe, are was one of the largest, if not still the largest, group of immigrants and refugees uh, to have come to the United States. Uh, since like the 60s or 70s. And, you know, these are folks that didn't, unlike previous waves of immigration from um, Asian countries, um, folks like us, we were forced to leave our country. And when we left, 
uh, we brought with us like you know memories of like war and famine and genocide and just total uh i don't know uh just unspeakable and just sort of unimaginable experience that you know folks still have trouble talking about and so we're bringing that yeah. with us to the U.S. And like I had mentioned earlier, our family settled in the Tenderloins. Like that experience wasn't very different for a lot of other Southeast Asian Americans who ended up settling in rougher urban, you know, yeah. communities where jobs weren't available, op educational opportunities weren't available. Um, there was definitely a lot of crime. And then not to mention just all of the trauma that the these folks yeah. were still processing. And so is it any wonder that academically, mm -hmm. um, you know, when you look at data for Southeast Asian Americans, when that data is available, exactly, you know, yeah. everything's red, right? So mm -hmm. uh, a huge problem with this sort of, and a, a lot of these struggles are just made invisible because mm -hmm. uh, when you look at data on Asian Americans, there's just this very, very broad category of Asian and unless you're disaggregating that bucket of like Asian American into Hmong or Lao and Vietnamese and Cambodian, a lot of these struggles are going to be masked. So I, I guess I'll wrap that up by saying I, I, I knew somebody who was applying for a, a scholarship uh, for some college program that she was uh, uh, shooting for. And um, she was talking to her diversity counselor. Uh, and she presented her sort of personal statement to our diversity counselor and her diversity counselor said, you know, it's not enough that you're an Asian American woman. You have to bring up something related to the struggles in your life. And I guess the message she was conveying to her was like, you're Asian, you haven't been through enough mm. to warrant this like, you know, special scholarship. Uh, that you're applying for. This was coming from her diversity, yeah, like, you I know, and she was like Southeast Asian American. She had been mm -hmm. through war and trauma and all like all these horrible things. And she's still having to prove to a certified diversity counselor, like I've been through, <laughs> I've yeah. endured, I've been through things. So it, it's, yeah, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done um, in terms of, uh, I guess, illuminating or highlighting just the struggles of like Southeast Asian Americans. And, and I, you know, I don't want to make it stop there too, because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I look at all these other newcomers coming from like Central and South America, and I, they're from a totally different region of the world, but I just feel like a lot of their struggles are essentially no different from my own. Um, yeah. And something that I probably talk at length about too, but I'll, I'll, I'll stop before I start going on for too long is that, uh, in my experience, and I feel like in a lot of these other countries where we're accepting, so we're not accepting, where, where so many of these uh, folks are coming here. Uh, uh, let me, I will say that the United States has played such a tremendous role in US foreign policy to destabilize regions of the world that produce refugees mm -hmm. and asylees in the first place. Like, you know, right. in Cambodia, the, the country was bombed so heavily by the United States government that it created the conditions that eventually forced us to leave. And so when you take that as sort of like the historical foundation of like our immigration, the major impetus for us like to move, it just feels like, you know, the U.S. holds some responsibility for yeah. taking care of these folks. And last I checked, like if you're not indigenous to the United States, you're probably from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And it's 
I just wish there was more of a celebration of that diversity. Um, whereas right now, I just feel like the language and politics around immigration is just so, so toxic and hateful. I, I just, it, to me, there's nothing more American than sort of being from somewhere else and trying to make yeah. it out here. So yeah. anyways, uh, that was a lot there. Um. <laughs> no, but it, you, you said, I mean, you said a lot of important things. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, understanding how to use data. And, you know, I don't know, my hope is that districts do invest more in producing either a, a lot of school districts don't have a data team. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least thinking about how can they advocate for it? Because like what you said, the data does help us advocate for resources and for students, because it's not just the stories that we have or the anecdotes, but we have the the numbers to say, like, this is what we're talking about. How can we get more support in this yeah. area? And, you know, in the counseling world, because that's my my background, mm-hmm. is that often what the National Association says is like the data helps you advocate for your students. But then again, like how do these departments advocate if they don't have a data team or data sets or understand how to use the data and aren't maybe disaggregating the data? As I agree with you, we need to disaggregate, disaggregate it even more to be able to fully understand the big picture versus just, you know, those generalized stereotypes that we often hear. Um, so I don't know. I mean, just a lot that you said, and I just wish that a lot more districts would do that. And I want our school leaders to take this away and say, like, we can use data in a way that's going to help our job, but also how to ask districts to, you know, put a little bit more money behind or resources behind getting this data into the hands that it needs to be in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you you mentioned this before, like how OUSD, we, we're very data heavy, but what was the second part? All right. Uh, I think I'd mentioned something like we are data rich, but analysis poor. Poor, yep. Yes. And yeah, what I noticed about OUSD is that we have so many tools and resources, um, you know, data being one of them. And, and, and all these like, like our, our website is on point. You, you click onto it. There's just so many resources. It's, it's, if you, you could compare it to like our neighboring school districts, it's like, it's not anything in comparison to OUSD. Mm-hmm. The question is, it's like, can we honestly say that the average school as in administrators and teachers use the use all the resources Mm -hmm. and if so how often and to what extent Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and um and you know not to you know put anybody on blast but you know i'm back at the schools district again i mean I, i work for ousd again and so now that I'm not at one particular school site, I, uh-huh. I travel around to different school sites. I see that. I I see schools where they use the data uh-huh. to inform their practice. And then I work with schools where it's 
it's not even part of the discussion. Yeah. And that's not, that's just not being a teacher coach. That's being an admin coach too, outside the mm -hmm. district. Yeah. So it's like, yes, it, you, you could have the tool, but what are you, are, are you going to use it? So yeah. it's now there's like, well, why are we not using it? So it's like, okay, one, what are, what's the district expectation for administrators? Um, are administrators trained? Mm -hmm. um, because how could we expect the administrators to, um, to um, um, implement data usage at their school if they're, if they themselves are not trained? So it's like, there, there's a whole bunch of questions to ask as to why we're not using all these beautiful tools that OUSD yeah. has to offer. Yeah. Um, you know, in my experience, I've, I've met such a wide range of folks uh, when it comes to their comfort level with mm -hmm. data. Mm -hmm. um, I would venture to say that um, in general, I, I hope people are making decisions based off of facts, <laughs> uh, whether that be quantitative or qualitative. And if it's quantitative, uh, there's a, a rich array of reporting that you can pull from at, at Oakland Unified School District. Um, uh, so at another level, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just, to me, it seems like it really boils down to like different schools and uh, the leadership there. Mm -hmm. Um Urban Promise Academy, for example, in the middle school, uh, I've had, uh, I feel like a pretty close relationship working with them throughout the years because they seem like they have like a very strong ELD program. Um, they are constantly reaching out to me, asking me like, when is this data report going to get updated? Um, uh, constantly reaching out saying like, by the way, I think we found a mistake in your report. Can you fix this? And so <laughs> I've had like a great relationship with them where like they, they're not afraid of talking about data. They're not afraid to sort of acknowledge like what they know and what they don't know. They just kind of go at it with like an open mind and say like, well, here's some tools that are available for us and let's use this and share it with like teachers and students and families. And so that's one population where I feel like, wow, they've done such a tremendous job in sort of... Yeah. Um, destigmatizing like any sort of like blame that's out there in terms of like what the data may or may not say about the quality of education there and just looking at the data to say like well this is where we're at and this is where we need to be and then based off the data here's how we get from here to there mm -hmm. um, i've met other schools too where i've been out of the schools too or talked to other folks where um you know they'll say things like i like what what's an excel spreadsheet or like <laughs> Like uh, I'll ask no. them. Like, yeah, I'll ask them during a data dive. Like, all right, let's let's get started. Open up your internet browser, and they're just like, I, like, what is that exactly? Um, and so, as an educator of like educators, like I, I, you know, I recognize that people just come in at like very yeah. very different places. Right. Um, and I, I, gosh, I don't know. I just I spend so much time just working on cleaning data, visualizing reports. I I wish I had more time to just kind of get out there and and be what the district used to have, which is like a data coach. Um, oh. Somebody that just sort of breaks down. Uh, oh my the Lord, data that would be. We, yeah. Yeah, so we used to have data coaches. We cut them. 
um, very severe budget situation and yeah. the data coaches have been gone. And I think now that work is just sort of embedded in everybody's own day to day. And then like you guys have mentioned too, you guys used to code yourself to pull data. I still find like a lot of people that are doing that, um, spending countless hours, you know, days and weeks just pulling their own data. And it's such a relief for me to come in and say like, oh, you know, I actually did something yeah. like that. My team has done something like that for you. Uh, so I think part of it is just sort of like an awareness as much as we mm-hmm. put out there, there's still some people, their data literacy just isn't there. It needs some work. And there's just some people out there that have no idea that these resources are. are, are yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So, <laughs> you yeah. know, what? what's worked for me, I would say, maybe this could be a model for like other school districts and, and leadership. I have a very, very close working relationship with, uh, uh, the English Language Learner and Multilingual uh, Achievement Office, ELMA. Um, I meet, I feels like weekly with the leadership there and their staff. And those folks uh, don't spend their time doing what I do. They spend their time interacting with school sites. And so they've got mm. uh, staff that sort of, again, divide and conquer, you know, folks that focus on just the newcomer stuff, folks that focus on the elementary ELD stuff and the secondary ELD stuff. And um, they form a bridge between me because I can't realistically talk to every teacher and principal about what their right. needs are when it comes to like EL data and, but they do. And so it's that relationship that I've cultivated with the Elma department that allows me to take in feedback, yeah. especially from the source, from folks that are saying, for instance, more recently, like we're spending all this time trying to figure out where we place our kid in like ELD classes mm-hmm. And the more I spoke to Nicole Knight, who's the director of that department, the more, you know, kind of both dawned on us, like, you know, a lot of, if you can just give me the rules for like what that pathway should be in terms of where a kid should be placed in the LD classes, I can code that in a way that just expedites that work so that teachers and counselors aren't spending countless hours figuring out like, well, if this is true, then maybe they should be here. But then these other elements are true. So yep. maybe they should be in this other class. So folks at Elma have broken down for me what that flow chart looks like. I've turned that to code, which has been proofed and is now sitting as a dashboard that should be launched uh, at the end of this year. And it should, I think, form the basis of uh, a strategy around placing the, the most appropriate place to place like ELs uh, for the, ne- the following school year. And at one very, very basic level, I've been told this should help people save so much time because the rubric around it can, you know, if you're kind of new or just unsure, Mm -hmm. it can get very complicated. And then, I don't know, it just brings me joy to know uh, that a kid obviously will be placed in the right classroom and get the right instruction and curriculum uh, for their hopefully one day language graduation, but also that, you know, teachers and counselors or whoever that's using this dashboard will get, you know, some of their hours back. They yeah. <laughs> just saving time so that they can focus on other things. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of like an investment uh, and, and a relationship that's just been cultivated over the years. But for other school districts, wondering, like, I, I think uh, connecting some stellar data analyst in your district to mm-hmm. a specific area of work uh, or, or or realm of like K through 12, like work, um, mm-hmm. I, I think is a worthy in, investment. And that 
I've been working with Elma for, I don't know, probably since like 2012 or over 10 years now, I think. And, um, uh, it's, it's been rewarding and I I think helpful for, for folks, but there's still, yeah, there's still a lot of work to do Mm because that even like, I think a couple months ago, somebody was saying like, I don't know this or that. And I was just like, oh boy, like, is your, okay, how do we, are you on a Mac or a PC? And they're like, what's that? (laughs) Oh, okay. Let me take another step back. Oh man. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And and you know what, Ratana, it's like what you just said about like how you narrow the, um, the data for, um, student placement. Mm -hmm. Um, shout out to miss douglas mm-hmm. do you know miss douglas uh, I don't so. <laughs> but Elmo probably does but not yeah oh my god about miss douglas well, no, no. she um she was our unofficial data person at oh. skyline so it was like she man like she did what you said mm-hmm. like we would give her like specific contingencies and we're like okay now could you pull that together and give us a list of the students Mm -hmm. and she I mean it was like I didn't realize how spoiled we were at that point I mean when it came to to data like we had people at the district like Ratana and then we had our site level person for something where we just needed something right then and there right yeah and I didn't realize that until I started working at other school districts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um I've heard that. Yeah. And I've just I like no lie. I I I reached out to Miss Douglas a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And you know Miss Douglas doesn't want to say no. She doesn't. <laughs> I mean God Which bless. is why she ended up being that data person because that really wasn't in her job description, but she it just, was not. But she knew and she, you know, and it was about building those connections and understanding like how we could use our resources and saying we don't have time for this, but we know it needs to get done. She figured it out. She knew how to do it. She cared enough. She put in the time to do it. Yeah. But you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just scary. So now you're wondering, I like, if the other school districts don't have um, a data, a data department district level, or if they don't have a Miss Douglas at their school site, like, how do you place students in your classes? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the biggest issue. Yeah. So like, what data? do you actually use you know if you're an individual working in the school district and we're talking like eld placement you're gonna have to find some way to get lpac data you're gonna have to find some way to get district assessment data you might want to consider you might have to go into aries and say okay what is this child a newcomer like how long have they also been Mm -hmm. in el and then you'll probably have to go into like the course history data and figure out Okay, what ELD classes were they in last year? Okay, was that right? Was that inaccurate? Um, yeah, that's it's quite a bit of work. And, and sometimes it doesn't happen. Well, oftentimes I will say it doesn't happen. And that's the major issue. Yeah, yeah. It's uh Miss what you said her name was Miss Douglas. Miss Douglas. <laughs> she's yeah. the she's inspired. Miss Douglas should be an inspiration to us all. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. This is another thing I'll say about our data team. There's, uh, you know, a number of folks 
they essentially committed their education and their careers in some capacity to learning how to analyze, manipulate, extract, and visualize data. Uh, folks would be surprised to learn. Oh, I should mention Oakland International, uh, one of my favorite high schools in in uh, in the school district. Um, we used to things have sort of changed since the pandemic hit, but before COVID, uh, they would come to students from that school would come to our department, and we would essentially give them uh, a crash course on like what it took to become a data analyst in the school district or a data analyst in anything in case that was sort of like a career path that they were interested in. And I, I'm thinking of this and Miss Douglas because one of the best parts of like that experience was sharing with those kids just the diversity of backgrounds that we came from. I think we all pulled like a Miss Douglas at some point. Yeah. I, for example, I was a history major and a ethnic studies major in college. I was actually a failed computer science major. Um, and I- um, How ironic is that? Right, exactly. We are <laughs> director uh, of analytics or actually our director of RAD now. <laughs> she was- uh, a comparative lit major in China. Uh, she was actually pursuing her PhD at Cal, hated it there, um, and decided like I would like to do more real world stuff like in education because the world of academia doesn't really appeal to me. We had a couple of folks that were like neuroscientists that were on our team for a while. Uh, somebody else was an economics major. Um, and we- wow. And yeah, so there's a there was just a diversity of backgrounds, and I would say we were all essentially nerds to some capacity. I think we all just figuring like enjoyed figuring out like how things work, and and didn't really shy away from um, just numbers and data. And and a lot of what we did at Oakland Unified, because as you probably already know, there isn't always a lot of money for PD. Okay. We had to teach ourselves how to do much of the a lot of the things that like we're, we're, we're doing now essentially like I said pulling a Miss Douglas yeah and, yeah and so if you have the time and the investment like like maybe that's sort of a an area of inspiration for other school districts and departments wondering like how can we do this sure it's great to have somebody that already knows SQL or R or Stata or Tableau or all these other like you know data capturing tools and visualizations but um, yeah, a lot of what we did, we started from scratch. I didn't know SQL until I got to the school district. Uh, I didn't know Tableau until I, well, my PD is called Google and YouTubing. So that, <laughs> that paid off after many, many hours of, of, of endless searches. Um, and honestly, a lot of my, my, my colleagues did the same thing until we figured out something that worked. So, um, that's real. so yeah, that's, you know, just, you know, for listeners out there that are wondering, yeah, thank Did you. Did you major in like computer engineering? Yes, I failed. <laughs> and I'm still doing techie data quantitative related related things <laughs> at work. Well, Ratana, I mean, I feel like we could go on and on and on with you because there's just we only touched on like yeah, a small a, a small but significant piece. But um, you know, we want to respect your time don't be surprised if we hit you up again for like a part sure. or something but um you know we always like to wrap up um our conversations with um with with self-care oh right mm -hmm. like because in order for us to do this work you know we ourselves 
need to be in a good place physically yeah. and mentally. Mm-hmm. So, um, w- what do you do for self-care? Um, gosh, uh, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm too different from most people. I, I, I do a variety of things. Um, a lot of that has changed though, uh, since the pandemic. Uh, I think, Oh, yeah, I used to do a lot of traveling. Haven't been able to do much of that lately. Uh, hopefully that'll change in the coming years. Um, used to do a lot of running. That has changed also. Running with a mask on was kind of a pain in the butt. And going to the gym was, well, that just didn't seem like a good idea during a pandemic. Um, I So hopefully getting back into that soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I gosh, I, 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 I okay, uh, I, I've been doing just a lot of reading, reading and writing and just research. Um, I, uh, I don't know that it's just, I've, I found a lot of solace in, in books, mm-hmm. uh, books written by folks that have been through mm-hmm. something tremendous um, and, and come out at the end with some sort of like wisdom or, or insight. Um, uh, folks have seen my library and I, I often get, comments or something along the lines of dude your books look really depressing (laughs) Uh, I don't know it's just I I I, I don't know I I just enjoy reading uh stories about folks that have yeah that have endured something and come out at the end still intact in some capacity and change and transformed and um I don't know I'm pulling just a lot of inspiration from 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 literature uh right now um so um beyond that i uh i recently engaged to somebody i think you guys uh, yes. are familiar For with someone we love so much <laughs> she was our first guest actually oh, oh yeah that's right she yeah, yeah. she mentioned that um yeah. and so um it's been uh she she's part of my my self care routine now like you know whenever things get a little too crazy we find uh, solace and companionship in, in in one another and I um there was a period of time where I didn't think I'd be here in terms of like a romantic relationship um I yeah it's just yeah being single as an Asian American man it's just there's lots of it can get very complicated and and lonely and so I'm glad I'm not on dating apps doing the whole thing <laughs> and trying to you know uh, stand out in that capacity I found somebody that uh, makes me quite happy and and yeah we we uh she's part of my self-care routine um but yeah beyond yes. that I don't know just nothing too extraordinarily different from other folks just hopefully carving out time to get, get away and turn work off Have, to your point like being able to say like I need to stop what I'm doing here and just be selfish and just focus on myself because that that's important too and just live your life um free from sort of these professional uh, obligations that we and it's hard because i you know with the work in education like it's just so i know yeah yeah i don't know it's it's hard for me to say no because i know what is dependent on like what i do and when it and it's it's not profits uh, hopefully i don't think for for most folks it's it's literally just the educational lives of like you know mm-hmm. communities so um it yeah it's just kind of hard to stop sometimes right. um so yeah. yeah i don't know i i don't know if that answers your question it does we love that one 
you know Ritana it's like like you are just so like passionate about education and I just love the fact that it's like, you're not a teacher, you're mm -hmm. not an administrator, you're not a counselor, but you are, you are an educator, but in a different capacity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if you remember this, but then remember when you uh, came to one of our book club meetings? Oh yeah. Yeah. You guys read Ungrateful Refugee. Yes. And I, at first I, I wasn't filling that book. Uh -huh. I forgot why, but then when you shared your uh, perspective on it, I actually had um, an appreciation for that book after mm. that book talk. Mm. But um, the reason why I'm bringing that up is because I, I don't know how we got into it, but we were talking about like, I, I think it was because the Powerball, uh, California Powerball ticket was like, Oh, Almost something crazy. Time. It's something crazy. So we're like, oh, did everyone buy a Powerball? And I think everyone did. And we were just like, okay, so what would you do if you won? <laughs> like crazy things that you said. No, well, I was like, well, the first thing I'm going to do is probably take my entire family to uh, the Mercedes Benz uh, um lot and like everyone could pick their own g-wagon and i was like but of course i'll pay off like bills and then invest and all this stuff this was what ratana said oh boy the very first thing i want to do is i want to remodel 1000 broadway <laughs> and i want to make one floor just a self-care floor just for like anyone that works in the district so like there's like um like a in in-house swimming pool and like a place where like there's like 20 pelotons and like <laughs> and this and that and we were all like wow this. did i say that yes you did and you're just like oh, that's so awesome <laughs> but it wasn't pandemic time yet and you're just like yeah and you know i I would make sure that everyone has a one-on-one -on -one, uh, computer because, you know, everyone still shares Chromebook carts. And we yeah. were like, wow. <laughs> yeah, eventually. Christina's buying Mercedes and Regina's like thinking about the district. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm vaguely remembering like that period of time. Uh, so just so folks know, the, the data team, Brad, Research Assessment Data, sits on the bottom floor of 1000 Broadway. And when people walk in, I, I hear it all the time. People are just like, what are all these umbrellas doing here? In the middle of all these cubes, you have like 20 umbrellas that are like hovering above each and every person's cube. And nobody thought that putting the data team there underneath this huge glass ceiling <laughs> Like we got so much sunlight, it was blinding, uh, and I oh, vaguely remember. Yeah. yeah, and we're looking at screens, and just sun is shining up every reflective thing and imaginable. And somebody thought, let's put our data team there. <laughs> so there's umbrellas there, and I just remember thinking, like, yeah, that wasn't the most comfortable place to work. So I was probably thinking of, of <laughs> uh, the self care for folks with this crazy. Weird. want to replace that first floor <laughs> weird building yeah oh, i i remember what you're talking about now you know that's you guys shared the same area with um 
payroll and HR? Uh, no, the umbrella. The, yeah, um, those are, all those umbrellas are ours. Yeah. The, yes, and and um, to the left was like where Lauren Cherry was the um, the discipline hearing. Oh. <laughs> That's such a wild place. I it's just yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Also, when you're located next to payroll and HR, there's always at least like once every like week or two somebody that comes in and they're just. They're not happy about like not getting paid or something mm -hmm. going on. And we would hear that all the time and just, they would come after us sometimes. And I'd just be like, okay, so I'm a data analyst. Uh, <laughs> I can I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you didn't get your paycheck, but let, how can I help? Like, let's figure this out. Who can you talk to? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Like for real, for real, we'll wrap it up with this one last question. Oh, sure. So we ask all of our guests, like, what is that one song? Like when, you, you know, it's like you're, you're tired, you're stressed out, but you still got to wake up, go to work and do your best. So uh -huh. what is that song that gets you up the hill? Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, I am a big appreciator of music. Uh, I, oh man, that's. I feel like that's a hard one. Uh, a song that gets me over like the the hill you say that like gets me to the, to the finish line. To the finish line, or just gives you motivation to like to get push to work. You. Yeah, just okay. to get to work and just you know just motivate you. Mm -hmm. Um. Oh man, I don't know. There's so many songs. It depends on the mood I'm in. Sometimes I need something like really upbeat or or. Or sometimes I need something like super calm to like mellow me out because there's just too much on my mind. Uh, I music I always go back to often uh, Cambodian rock music. Uh, have you guys listened to much of that mm -hmm. at all? Are oh, you guys wow. familiar with like Rosary Satia or Cincy Simone? Um, if not, there's this amazing documentary. It's called "Don't Think I've Forgotten," and mm. it goes through the history of this. Cambodian rock music phenomenon that originated in Cambodia, I think during the late 60s and went on to the early 70s. And, and then it eventually met like a tragic end after the Khmer Rouge had taken over. But before that happened, they had produced, there's these artists in Cambodia that had produced such amazing music that just transcends like all this time and all this history. I still listen to it today. I have fond memories of going to my mom and dad and saying like, Hey, what song is this? Can you translate this? And they would talk about their memory of the, you know, certain types of musics and songs. And, and uh, I have a, a very recent memory where I was on a boat with uh, Sarah's family um, in Wisconsin. Uh, and, uh, you know, they normally put on country or something or rather something. Yeah. Something country ish. <laughs> and I think they had asked for me to put on some music and I was like, do you want to listen to some Cambodian rock music? And so I put that on for them. And uh, yeah, here we are in the middle of like Wisconsin oh. on a lake, just listening to just, you know, was it Cincy Simone from like the 60s and 70s? And uh, I think they liked it. And so uh, there's a song, I think Sarah, it was on her Spotify year end wrap up. Uh, it's called Console Me. Um, and it's from the soundtrack to that documentary I had mentioned earlier. So um yeah check that out I, I will I, yeah I always feel like at my core when I'm listening to to some of these these amazing oldies so you know. 
Awesome. Well, this has just been a great episode. Thank you so much for sharing all that you've, you know, been through, but also what you're doing at the district and kind of giving us a new look at data in the sense of like how we can use it and getting us to a point where we start analyzing more, um, especially when we have it at our fingertips or really advocate for getting that data that we need. So thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having this platform. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, wait. So do we like sign up? We hope you enjoy this conversation. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Alina Christina. Check out our content and engage in a conversation with us through the comments or DMs. Also, please help us grow and share this with your friends, colleagues, as well as post on your social media. We look forward to next time. Take it easy.